From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, with us as well. And uh, tonight's sort of a different thing for yes. us as we talk about an exciting event coming up here in Stanislaus County on April 16th. There will be a uh, pretend, we hope... pandemic flu uh, scenario going on, a wonderful way to uh, test uh, our uh, medical response system and uh, the main uh, players here this evening, including our our good friend, Dr. John Walker. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking with Dr. Walker in just a couple of moments. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are around the world, welcome to Lighthouse Live. Great to have you with us. And a special thanks to our friends from Turlock Community Fellowship, where we were able to visit with them on Sunday. It uh, It was a great time. And just a quick announcement, uh, if uh, you're interested for both uh, pastors and heads of nonprofits, the California Budget Project will be coming to Modesto on March 31, and this is a, a nonprofit organization that analyzes the state budget. Now, can you imagine doing that as a career, analyzing the state budget? You know that? <laughs> You'd have to be on heavy meds, I think, after a while for doing that. But anyway, they they do a wonderful job of analyzing the the state budget, and they're going to give us a history on how we got to be where we are today, uh, the ramifications of the decisions that were made not long ago, and we'll even talk a little bit about some of the stimulus package uh, ramifications coming out of Washington, D.C., and how it impacts our community. Uh, If you're a pastor uh, or uh, a ministry leader, uh, we'll be convening from 7 in the morning till 8.30, 7 to 8.30. That's on March 31st. And then nonprofits will be uh, convening shortly after that from 9.30 to 11. If you're interested in attending, please give me a call. Area code 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Again, that's a session with the California Budget Project. Well, now let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of another real-life Jesus freak. The year is 1550, and King Edward is now permitting the Bible to be read aloud in English instead of only Latin. This delights Joan Waste, who, although born blind, is eager to know God's Word. She learns to knit, saving every penny to buy her own Bible. She even pays people to read to her, and she memorizes entire chapters of Scripture. But when Queen Mary takes the throne, new laws make it illegal to even own a Bible. Joan is arrested for heresy, but tells her persecutors, I cannot forsake the truth. And on August the 1st, 1556, 
Joan Waste is burned at the stake merely for owning a Bible, something you and I take for granted every day. Will you stand with the voice of the martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. And you know what's interesting about that story is that before Joan Waste was burned at the stake, she was brought before the church, and the bishop basically brought her before the uh, the masses on, on Sunday and uh, read the charges against her and basically made her a public spectacle there. And after doing so, they took her directly to be burned at the stake while the bishop went home and and slept during the uh, execution. Oh, my. Weird days then. But uh, thankfully, we have we have freedoms at, at this point anyway in our country and uh, able to own Bibles without being able to be burned at the stake. So amen, amen for you that. Bet. Well, what's happening in <sighs> Stanislaus County that we can uh, volunteer for? Let's take a for? look at opportunities to serve with the Volunteer Center of the United Way. Spring International 2009, bringing professional golf Back to Modesto. We were just talking about your golf game just the other day. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron, me <laughs> and a golf game, I think. <laughs> Is that Mostly a moron mor- Maybe we should moron just part. move on. Yeah, I'm not sure. But this is happening. Oh, wait. It begins the same day as our drill exercise, April 16th. We won't talk too much about that. No. But it goes on through the 19th, so you can still take part in that. It's at the Del Rio Country Club. The tournament presented by Crystal Dairy is the Canadian Tour season opening event and is recognized as one of the notable tours in the world. The event is free to the public and offers an opportunity to get inside the ropes of an international golf tournament. Um, They are needing volunteers uh, to assist in all aspects, including hospitality, marshals, spotters, scoring, parking, transportation, runners, security, adopt a pro Housing a pro golfer for the week. Can you imagine bringing Tiger home or Phil Milkowski? Hi, honey, I'm bringing Tiger home. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! I can hear it now. You know, it's just unreal. But anyway, it would just be an opportunity of a lifetime. So if you are interested in doing something like that, we'll give you a, a number to call and find out more. Capistrano Elementary School needing volunteers to help students with recreational and sports activities, arts and crafts projects, reading and math. Tutoring homework, assistance, weekdays between 2 and 6. Interested individuals should be at least 14 years of age. Enjoy working with the youth, uh, being able to read, write, and speak English, and have math skills at the 8th grade level. Bilingual individuals are especially encouraged to volunteer, and high school student volunteers are welcome. Uh, If you want more information, we'll uh, connect you with that also. We so encourage this Spending time with seniors and gaining new friends, you bet. Local care homes, convalescent hospitals, and retirement facilities throughout our county uh, are seeking friendly visitor volunteers to take an active role in the lives of seniors. Volunteers and seniors talk, laugh, swap stories, read books, letters, play games, and so much more. Uh, You can also accompany residents on walks, outings, uh, teaching arts and crafts, entertaining groups, uh, playing musical instruments, singing, or in my case not, uh, volunteers learn and benefit uh, from older individuals with a lifetime of experience to share. And again, if you need to get connected to some of those facilities, would be just uh, only too happy to do that for you. So, And if you have questions about any of these uh, opportunities from United Way, give Barbara Borba a call. Uh, she can be reached at 209-524-1307, extension 113. 
Uh, again, 209-524-1307, extension 113, or email her at bborba at uwaystand.org. And here in ABC land, we need donations of beds and dressers. Those are the big needed items uh, here for people in need of physical things uh, for their homes, particularly twin-size beds. If you have one to donate, uh, perhaps you would like to participate in delivering uh, one of these uh, items to a family in need, personally connecting with them. Uh, we'd love to arrange for that to happen. Give us a call here at 209-544-9571. Uh, this just came in today from the Red Cross. Uh, you may remember uh, the Greenbrier apartment fires. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, there's an 83-year-old senior sister who is now ready to move back into her old place, uh, and she needs a bed. She needs a dresser, a sofa, kitchen table, uh, and chairs. And if you have any of these items for her uh, household, please give us a call, and we will uh, connect you with that as well. Also want to mention that coming up this Thursday, uh, speaking about our, our senior population, uh, Thursday, March 12th, uh, if you're listening before that time, at the Gallo Center for the Arts. There's going to be a, a premiere showing there. It's called Secrets in America, the Crisis of Elder Abuse. And we would just encourage uh, anyone within Stanislaw County to uh, go and check that out. I'm going to be there. Uh, looking forward to that and just uh, would encourage you to go. Yeah, and, it really is a hidden population. Oh, we serve so many seniors, and many of them are abandoned by their uh, their families. They're, they're alone. They have no one to turn to. And, and a lot of them, uh, even if uh, there are some abuses going on, especially financial abuse, a big, big problem, they're afraid to go mm, anywhere yes, because yes. they're afraid of you know, offending the uh, great-granddaughter or great-grandson, you know, whatever it might be. And we encourage you to uh, to attend this at the Gallo Center, uh, something we need, really need to be uh, aware of and on the lookout for because there are uh, resources in our county that can deal with that. You bet. Well, we have an extraordinary roundtable discussion in store, dear friends, of Lighthouse Live tonight because uh, we have men and women and of this caliber here at our Lighthouse Live show tonight. That just I don't know, getting these people together in one room at the same time, how hard is <laughs> That's that? That's a but minor miracle it, right it there. It really is, it? but we do want to say a thanks to Phoebe LeYoung for her coordination of all these efforts, uh, and uh, just thanks for gathering together Dr. John Walker from Stanislaw County Health Services Agency and uh, Renee Cartier and Nancy Fisher, and uh, I tell you what, around our table, we just welcome you all. Thank you, guys, all of you, for joining us, and as Pastor Mike said before, we are here because of a full-scale pandemic influenza uh, drill that we're, we're going to be enacting on April 16th. And we've been planning for this for a while. And uh, Dr. Walker shaking his head, nodding in agreement, all of the meetings. And Renee, she's so holding her eyes open. And <laughs> thank, thank goodness for Starbucks. And Nancy Fisher just working so hard. And, and we just want to thank you all for all that you do in this community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, Dr. Walker, why don't you start us off? Because can we just even get our arms around and our heads wrapped around uh, the possibility of pandemic flu and just talk to us and talk to our listeners about why we're doing this, why the need for this, and what can we expect to learn? Well, Elaine, before I get to that, um, I want to thank you and Pastor Mike uh, for all that you've done uh, to help our community um, respond Mm -hmm. and prepare for emergencies. I mean, going back to 2005 with Katrina, 
Advancing Vibrant Communities was right there helping us as a county uh, prepare uh, for evacuees. Uh, there you were again during the summer of 2006 uh, when we had the heat emergency. And once again during the summer of 2007, uh, helping us to have young people go door to door, alerting uh, uh, those who, who, who might uh, be at risk. So you guys are awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, we, we really appreciate you. Um, before, we, before we get to the exercise, I just want to share with your listeners uh, just a, a few issues um, in terms of preparedness um, and to, to give them a sense of some of the things that we're doing in the area of prevention. Um, one of the things we want them to be aware of is the difference between avian influenza or bird flu and human pandemic influenza because they're not the same. You'll recall a few years ago, we really had concerns about bird flu coming uh, from Asia. And th- that is really a disease of poultry, not of humans, and the transfer to humans is rare. When we talk about pandemic influenza that uh, Renee and Nancy are working so hard on for this exercise in April, we're talking about human uh, infection. And in that regard, we want your listeners to uh, be aware of some things that we all need to be doing now, today, every, all the time to be prepared. I mean, this is as close to me as last night when I had to go over to my grandson who had a 102 temperature. Yeah, and mm-hmm. What do you think he had? Yes. Yeah. It's oh. still the season. Yes. Okay. Sure. Exactly. We, we, we really, we in public health, uh, really learned some things from the SARS epidemic of 2003. And one of the things that we learned are there are things that we need to do aside from just having vaccine. Because in a pandemic, almost by definition, we're not going to have enough vaccine. Can I ask, before we move on, because this, this term has come up with, with people we've been talking to, let's talk just briefly, what is the difference between pandemic and epidemic? Ooh, that, that's yes. been a question that's yes. been, I didn't mean to just oh, to derail question. your thought there, but uh, oh, the, the word's really important yes. uh, Very before good. we move on. Um, epidemic is generally a localized outbreak of disease. Pandemic is global. Mm. Mm. You, you get the sense of the difference in magnitude. And so they are quite different. Um, and in a pandemic, if you have a global outbreak, uh, you really have different kinds of situations. One of the things that uh, Nancy and uh, Renee have been working on so hard is just 
the whole concept of mutual aid. In an epidemic, if you've got a problem, you can ask for resources from elsewhere. In a pandemic, if everyone else is sick, what do you do? So one of the things that we try to do is to educate the public on what are the kinds of things that you can do to um, prepare yourself. And some of them are just hygiene measures that you need to be instituting on a day-to-day basis. A good example is something we call respiratory etiquette. I, I cringe when people cough into their hands <laughs> because what happens? You've just infected your hands. And you shake hands. And you shake hands. I hate you know, it when that happens. You know? <laughs> so when we see people uh, <laughs> coughing and sneezing into their elbow, you know, we just say, right on, okay? Granted, it's a little messy on short sleeves, but you know what? Might look a little weird. That's right, see. but, you know. Most of us <laughs> don't shake elbows, right? I mean, not, not in this I county. I'm going to worry about That's you. Right. I don't I know about Merced County. <laughs> now, maybe, you know, but not here in Stanislaus County. And uh, then there, there are a couple of other things that we really want your listeners to be aware of. And uh, one of them is something we call hand hygiene which is to recognize that respiratory illnesses are spread more than just by coughing, okay? And that when the keeping your hands clean is so important, either through hand washing uh, and or alcohol-based hand cleansers. Mm-hmm. And so we really uh, promote that very much. And then the last thing is to be aware of the value of a pneumonia vaccine, it's called Pneumovax, and uh, is recommended for uh, those with chronic diseases and those over the age of 50, and uh, I've had mine. Yes, I have. Um, uh, because We're most all hiding. Of, uh, <laughs> is that just because all of us are over 50? Well, think about it. Think about it. In, in, in an influenza pandemic, what are most of the deaths going to be? They're going Mm. to be respiratory, Mm. and they're going to be from bacterial superinfection. So this vaccine protects against the most common cause of pneumonia, which is the pneumococcus. So, again, want your viewers, uh, your listeners to to be aware of that. This is called Pneumovax? Well, that's a trade name. Okay. Yes, it is. Now, this is not the free one you can get with the flu shot every year, or is that... Uh, it is it is at a cost, okay. but what's important is most insurance companies cover it, uh, Medicare covers it, uh, and it's available year-round, and it's not one like the flu vaccine that changes every year. Right. Uh, it's available at your clinic or your private physician. So you have to talk to okay. your doctor. and re- yes. I mean, you just can't go down to the corner here and get your pneumovax no but we do we do uh, offer it at uh, the health department i'm thinking of many of the senior populations who are very important dis- yes very important yes. for mm-hmm. our seniors absolutely you know and, and to put this into perspective we're talking about a full-scale exercise here but what we're also talking about is a very real and maybe probable problem this is not the the pandemic flu issue is not something that uh is is uh, an outside chance. This is something that really could happen 
in in this county and, and other counties, it is a, a very real possibility. And so, uh, the, you know, the need to do those preventative measures, the hygiene, et cetera, and, and even the pneumovax is uh, critical, right, uh, coming up. And and when you, when you talk about the alcohol-based um, cleaners, you know, we're not talking about the 12-step alcohol thing. No, here, right? no, not this that is, one. Wrong alcohol, is, uh, Pastor Mike. Yeah, this is, I mean, let me use a trade. This is like getting the little Prell bottle, right? And I have one in my car, doctor. Yes. And not Good the shampoo. You. And, and Good for you. Okay, and after, everybody clap. Thank you. <laughs> clap, clap, clap. Okay, and yeah. after every meeting I go to, including including yours that you call from, I have my little thing in the car, and I'm doing this for, you know. So uh, thank you, you know, for that. I think that's a, yes. that's a wonderful reminder. So uh, lo- looking at this, and, and Renee and Nancy, uh, as as you look at the possibility of uh, uh, pandemic flu, and and uh, how did uh, how did this concept of the exercise crop up? Were we just did we take a, a dart and say, let's throw a dart and it landed on pandemic flu, or, that, or how did how did this, was uh, this how did this come about? <laughs> Renee, was it yours? <laughs> Renee, Renee's shaking her head over here. I don't, No, you cannot. (laughs) Yes, I have a very sick mind, and the sick mind of mine came up with that concept and uh, decided that in order to meet some grant requirements and to be able to do, uh, well, we have lots of stuff that we need to practice on, and we have people who need to be trained. And the one thing I can tell you is that in the military, we used to practice, 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 you know, just so that we all become comfortable we become experts, and so that was another reason to do this, is that this is something we've never tried, so this is the beginning of the practice. Well, and, you know, practice makes perfect, they say. Or and, progress. Or progress. I'll take progress. And, yeah. and learning, too. And, and, Nancy, you've been very involved in, in the practicing and at least the discussions of the practicing. And what is your positions in, in all of this? Well, when we talk about practice, 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 particularly with this event, we're bringing a large number of organizations together to practice. Uh, Hospitals, um, our emergency transportation providers, Mm -hmm. and the staff of the public health part of our health services agency. And that's where I come in. Uh, One of the aspects of this exercise is that we will be setting up something we call an alternative care site. And this is uh, a, a facility that we own all the equipment to put it together, and it's like a mobile hospital. And uh, as public health, this is something that we've decided is one way that we could deal with a pandemic because the nature of a pandemic would be that we would have too many people who are sick to fit in the hospitals that we have. And so a strategy that's recommended is that we be able to set up a facility where some of those sick people can go and get the care they need from professionals outside of the hospital, leaving the hospitals, who are staffed with very experienced nurses and physicians, to care for people who are extremely ill. So the exercise involves trying to take people to the hospital who can't handle them and transporting them to the alternative care site or the site of care where they can be taken care of with equipment 
and personnel who um, can watch over them and care for them. We feel that if there is a pandemic, we're going to need more places to care for people than just hospitals. Mm. And uh, we'll be. this is one strategy. I think as we look forward, we're testing this out. Someday we may test out how do we have people cared for at home? Mm. How do we mm. have people cared for um, by their family members? So the first step is a facility. In the future, we may look at other strategies. You know, uh, to, to think of, of the reality of this, you know, on a day-to-day basis, oftentimes, uh, you know, hospitals will be put on a two-hour diversion for ambulance uh, companies and mm-hmm. such. And on, on a regular daily basis, and here we're talking a, a pandemic scenario, would it take much to overwhelm our yeah. uh, our hospitals in the air? We've got... No. You know, one just down the street here in doctor's hospital. In a, would it really take much? Or, I no, mean, would and be I, I, no, I think it'd be safe to say that we pretty much operate in, in hospital crisis mode all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pretty much at capacity on most days. Um, the emergency rooms are inundated um, with problems with health care insurances and everything. People don't have private physicians, so they inundate emergency rooms. So they're they're constantly in that kind of a state. You know, the, the concept of the alternative care site is very interesting. Can you talk us through a little bit what that entails? What is an alternative care site? What's, uh, what's it made up of, and, and how many of them do we have? Well, I don't know that we can say that we have very many of them. What we have are um, two trailers that have enough equipment and supplies to be able to um, give acute care level to 50 patients. It doesn't sound like much, you know. Um, in fact, it sounds like very little when you say, oh, it's only 50 beds. So when you say, how many alternate care sites do we have, we'd probably have enough equipment and supplies to open up one site. Mm-hmm. How does that help out the hospitals? Well, that's 50 beds that they can move patients from, sure. you know, that we can help them offload some of that. And like Nancy said, we'd have to explore alternative methods as well as far as can they be taken care of at home or, or other methods? I would imagine your your triage gets a little aggressive there too, right? Yeah. In, in determining who's who's really in need and, and who maybe can um, can be treated at home possibly. And, and that's a part of what this exercise is is practicing the triage mm-hmm. because we have to keep in mind that. A pandemic flu won't happen in isolation. If that's happening, there are still going to be car accidents and heart attacks and uh, people having strokes and uh, all the other things that go into an emergency room and go into a hospital. So we'll be balancing all of those issues along with the increase. A pandemic of influenza comes on top of everything that Renee's talking about that goes on in hospitals every day. Going back to the alternative care site, going back to a few months ago, we were all excited about this turnkey. Remember the trailer where we went to see all of these beds rolled out and how quickly, how efficient everything was done. That was exciting for our community, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. But the, the thing to remember is that this is not normal daily operations. You know, these trailers were purchased with the intent of being able to help out in a true emergency. So there would have to be, you know, not only a state 
emergency that's been declared by the governor, but would also have to be considered a federal disaster as well for us to be able to utilize this. Okay. You know, I think uh, one of the things we have to realize, too, and, and I, you know, b- because in, in the United States of America, uh, you know, government does do th- some things well. You know, I mean, we we get mad about the state budget and, and legislatures and, you know, that sort of thing. But there are some things that the government does very well. And one of the downsides of that is we come to expect if something happens, well, FEMA is going to come and make it all better. And, and those of us who have worked with FEMA for a couple of years, you know, know that uh, it they're not going to ride in on their white horses all of a sudden and uh, and save the day. We must prepare locally. And maybe if we can just stop on that idea just for a second, Dr. Walker, this really becomes a community effort, not just government, not just the medical community, not just the emergency responders. This of necessity has to be a community-wide effort. And let's talk a little bit about the importance of that. You're, you're right on it. Mm-hmm. And that's especially important, Pastor Mike, regarding your announcement at, at the beginning of your broadcast about the budget group because the reality is in this economic environment um, with the budgetary constraints that we have we really need the community and uh, the great news um, in this uh, in this county is that the faith community has really been uh, very active. Um, Beyond the community, we also need to encourage a family Mm. emergency Mm. preparedness plan. Things that people don't uh, think about. Uh, One of the biggest issues in Katrina was lost eyeglasses and lack of medication. And it's important for your listeners to remember they need to know where their extra pair are and they need to have a, a, a supply of their medication. The, the other thing that your listeners need to think about is we tend to uh, look at the grocery store as it's always going to be there. But the way that businesses run now, they turn over a lot of their inventory within 72 hours. So one of the issues that our colleagues from the Office of Emergency Services urge people to do is you need at least two weeks worth of supplies and some of that includes water. Um, we, we, when we think about being prepared for an emergency, uh, we, we even need to think about issues of what do we do with power disruption, mm-hmm. if all of your food supplies are dependent upon refrigeration, uh, you may have a challenge uh, in an emergency. So 
while this ish this exercise that uh, that uh, is being prepared for next month focuses on um, pandemic uh, influenza and how we would respond as a medical uh, and a, a health unit, we also want your your listeners to be um, prepared for the kinds of unfortunate social disruption that we might have if your food supply is interrupted um, and some other services are disrupted. So we really encourage uh, listeners um, to have a family emergency plan. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we are going to be right back with lots more with our fabulous guest right after we're reminded from the Christian musical group Mercy Me that Romans 8.38 holds true. Nothing is going to separate you, Christian, from the love of God. Here's their song entitled All Right on Lighthouse Live.
of joy when the world comes crashing. Hold your head up and keep on dancing. Count your joy when the world comes crashing. Hold your head up and keep on dancing. Count your joy when the world comes crashing. Hold your head up and keep on dancing. Count your joy when the world comes crashing. Told Renee it was okay to dance, and she went for it. It's mercy me. All right. Good stuff on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike Elaine, Renee Cartier, Nancy Fisher, and Dr. John Walker. And we're planning a outbreak, potential, a pandemic flu, and we're doing a drill exercise coming up on April 16th at Johansson High School in Modesto, California, for those of you who are listening elsewhere. And we want to thank you for listening in here to Lighthouse Live. And as we pan, uh, plan this pandemic, you know what? That's <laughs> kind of hard. pandemic. <laughs> kind of hard to say. You know, we were talking earlier, uh, Dr. Walker, about the difference, Pastor Mike asked you, yes. about the pandemic flu, if you want to move back up to your yes. mic, uh, about the pandemic and the epidemic. Yes. And he, he he asked you the question, the difference. Well, I had a, a kind of a stupid question, if there is a stupid question. How the pandemic flu gets to the point of from the epidemic to the pandemic, does it arrive? How does it usually arrive? Yes. Okay. Um, the, the difference is that the pandemic strain is usually – an unusual one so that people do not uh, have much of an immunity. We have something called anagenic drift, and so each year it looks a little different. With a pandemic, it is totally different, and very few people uh, have immunity. That's correct. Now, Normally, the cycle of what we call seasonal influenza actually uh, begins in the southern hemisphere mm. almost all the time. So we we generally have a, an early warning system because the World Health Organization monitors what goes on, um, especially in Australia, but in other places like especially in a Southeast Asia, and they monitor what goes on there during what we would consider the summer. So we usually have an early warning system. However, in a pandemic, we lose what we call the usual seasonal flu pattern. Um, in the United States, it's primarily during the winter. Um, your listeners should know that um, in California, our season usually begins uh, after Christmas, 
and uh, last uh, well into uh, March, uh, sometimes into April. So we have about a four-month uh, flu season. Pandemic influenza is not like that. Pandemic influenza tends to go in waves, does not just show up once and go away like we have in seasonal influenza. And if we look at the four uh, influenza pandemics that uh, we've had in the past century, uh, often have uh, three waves. So it'll be a little different. And so part of you know our planning and the drill and alternate care uh, exercises are um, primarily uh, to prepare uh, for the unusual nature of a pandemic. It's just not the same. Is it because of our, um, the world is getting smaller, transportation is linking continents? I mean, with all the technology that we have, is, is that why this becomes such a big concern and, and things can kind of explode uh, fairly quickly? Uh, that definitely is uh, a consideration. If you look back historically to the last huge pandemic that everyone talks about, 1918, uh, people were becoming infected, and uh, one area was with troop ships going to Europe. Well, over that took four or five days, and so some people actually ran the whole course of the illness and either died or survived before they reached their destination. And people traveled by train, and so uh, moving from place to place. And yet we still had a worldwide pandemic that was fatal for millions of people. Now, excuse me, someone can become infected and not know it because they're not symptomatic, get on an airplane, and because you are infectious, you can spread it before you have all your symptoms then they're moving from place to place so quickly in today's world that the spread will be rapid. Mm. And unlike 1918, where they would see people were infected and it would take four days to move across the ocean or a day in a train, uh, uh, people could implement uh, isolation and quarantine ways they used then to control. Now someone can arrive infect people because they don't know they're infected themselves and move on. And so we're really having to be heightened in our awareness Mm -hmm. of the movement of an infection, any infection, because yes, now people get on airplanes and move very quickly from place to place. How about the media and pandemic paranoia or fear? Renee, do you have any? I see the media as our friend in that. They're going to be critical in being able to give the right information and distribute it. They are absolutely, no doubt, a partner right at the table with us. Good. That's that's good news. They'll be the good news. In you know, we didn't have the internet back (laughs) back then, and technology is going to be our our assistant. And people are becoming more aware and more informed. Mm -hmm. The public. You know, and talking about the 1918, we actually did a research project. We were just very curious how that impacted our county. So we went back and 
We pulled all of the newspaper articles and pictures and <laughs> you name it. Idea. We <laughs> went through it and pulled death records and, you know, we were really trying to get a grip of uh, mm. what could we learn, what could we garner yes. from past experience here. And, and they uh, had an alternative care site here. Um, yeah, you know, we several. We have seen photos of, several of them. buildings that were not hospitals and there were hospitals in Modesto then. With cots, <laughs> no kidding. Small as they were, oh, goodness. you know, yeah. cots lined up in large rooms. That's right. exactly what it was. Right. They it, were using, you know, the school gymnasiums, sure. and they were using some of the community centers. But they were setting up their own little mini hospitals and calling for volunteers and supplies. Volunteers, and, we love that. Oh, that's right. And Absolutely. we have volunteers yes. on this drill exercise, yes, too. We yes, we do. We're very excited about the volunteers oh, because in are. order to make this a realistic scenario and help everyone practice, we needed patience. Oh, indeed. And, and Elaine's been wonderful oh, in getting us volunteers. Oh, bless you. And, you know... Uh, Mary Sherwood is just a, a, a sweetheart of a, a partner in this area. She's she's done a lot of a lot of work, and so we are uh, climbing up there in volunteers, and we have patients, and uh, they are excited about that, and uh, we just uh, are looking forward to this well, very much. You know, right now that's a wonderful way that the community can help us to be prepared mm-hmm. by being a volunteer, being a patient, helping us move bodies, people uh, from place to place. And we hope that none of those volunteers will ever have to practice that role in a real scenario and be a patient. But right now it gives us the tool to do a better job and be more prepared. You know, it's one thing to uh, do an exercise, a tabletop exercise, where basically we're sitting down and we're talking through it. But it's another when you actually get out there and have to deal with uh, real things like roads and ambulances and people and putting them in ambulances. L- let me ask you a question. Talking about the art alternative care sites and, and treatment, am I assuming correctly that if it's a pandemic flu situation that you just don't go to the alternative care site, you get a shot and you're better? Uh, what, what, what are we talking about in terms of uh, how we treat this and what happens if you are sick and you go to a center? What what can you expect? Well, uh, the way that we have it structured, and, and we believe this is how it would be if we were uh, dealing with a pandemic. First of all, there is no shot that cures influenza. There are medications that seem to be able to decrease the severity of the symptoms. We find they don't work for all flu viruses. And this is something that hasn't changed since the pandemics that took place in the 20th century. Science is working on it. Mm. And so if someone were to become ill in our community within a pandemic, this is where we would be using the um, the media to direct them to who they should call and where they would go. Uh, an alternative care site would not be a first site of reception. It would be a place that the system would determine from hospital admissions who would go there? It would not be like so. Most likely, they'd be in the hospital, mm-hmm. but then would go to the center. Yes, yeah. Uh, we we would that. use it in what they use often in in medical parlance, a step down unit for people who are ill and still need some supervision, but very sick people would have somewhere else they would be directed to go. Whether it would be a hospital or what we call a field treatment site, a specific site that would be set up by the emergency medicine 
folks in order to assess and triage people. You know, they might look at someone and say, I know you're not feeling well, but you're not so sick you need to be in the hospital. Here's what you need to do to go home and take care of yourself. They might look at someone and say, yes, you need to go to the hospital and be treated. And so those are some of the things we'll be testing that day in addition to just setting up the alternative care site. Dr. Walker, I mean, basically in terms of medicine, the buck stops with you. Do you do you lose sleep over these issues at night? I mean, you're 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 the man. I I <laughs> I, I don't lose sleep, but if you look at me, I have lost hair. No. <laughs> Our listeners cannot see that. Well, to, to put it to put statement. it nicely, when when I go to the barber, I just say part it down the middle. <laughs> it's so fashionable. The you know the. Um, the the answer to this is um, no, I don't, and you know prayer is a wonderful thing. Mm. Uh, but in addition to that, part of the reason I sleep well is because we really are looking carefully and implementing strategies now for prevention. And if we continue to work hard on that, not only will we be better prepared, but I think we, we, we may be able to intercede uh, and not have to deal with it. And, and let me share with you one of the more important strategies, and there are some others. But one of the strategies that a CDC has promoted in recent years is a change in our vaccination practices. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, 10 years ago, uh, most of our focus on influenza vaccination was on seniors. Well, uh, then we added uh, uh, preschool children. And now the focus is on all, including school children. And the reason that is so important is that now we're starting to focus on those who are most mobile, our school kids, who may have a milder illness, but who may continue to shed the virus longer. And I really think that that new model is going to pay off for us. So, Pastor, is, do, you, do you understand that helps me to sleep better? Yeah, so it's not, and what we're talking about is not so much an issue of the individual being treated, but that individual now is very mobile and makes a lot of contacts. Yes. And so by uh, addressing that one individual, you are possibly uh, halting the spread of this in an exponential in an exponential way. The vaccines, let's talk a little bit uh, about them. Do they have an effect of having, say, you, you, you have one for seven, eight years in a row? Is there a cumulative effect there, or is it basically it, it is good for a couple of months and then next year you need to re-up? Is, how, how does that work? Do, do we know? Um, each year uh 
we monitor what is the prevalent virus, um, and we especially look at the southern hemisphere. And each vaccine uh, has uh, uh, covers three different viruses. Uh, often it will include the virus from last year, <laughs> the the new virus, as well as the virus for a a second kind of influenza called influenza B. Most of the pandemics are related to influenza A, but we try to cover the whole spectrum. Um, my personal opinion, and, and I emphasize personal opinion, is that we do gain a measure um, of immunity from the cumulative vaccines that we receive. So that's number one. Number two is that we have uh, technology now that um, allows a, a live virus vaccine that is a nasal vaccine and that one tends to uh, confer broader immunity. Mm. Um, it is, however, at the present time, only licensed for those from, I guess, is it uh, three months? Th three, six months to 49 years leaves me out. But uh, most of us out in this uh, room. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone in the room. However, <laughs> however, however, um, it it does uh, it does apply to that group of children that I shared earlier who are mobile, easy to administer, no needles. <laughs> uh, and so uh, uh, Nancy's nurses at our health department uh, this past season have been focusing on that. And Nancy, I don't know if you want to share a little about that. Certainly. we. Uh, the nice thing is that it is an excellent vaccine for school children, right. and they are a focus group. We've actually used up all of our nasal vaccine this year, and we're very mm. pleased awesome. with that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say we still have injectable vaccine. And as Dr. Walker said, the flu season is going on well into April. And so if a person has not received their vaccine... And I would especially encourage someone who's planning to do some traveling uh, mm. through their child's spring break. They should come in and get the flu vaccine. It's not too late. Uh, we, you know, we always think about it in October and November, but right up through now, California tends to see the flu later. And uh, so we encourage people to get the vaccine every single year. Such good Every information. single year. And by the way, for, yes. for those of you listening live, you know what day it is. If you're listening to this on the archive, yes. Yes. it's March 9, it's March. Uh, 2009. Elaine, we're bumping the clock we a little are. bit. You need oh. volunteers. We do. We welcome your, you to volunteer. Get in touch with us. Area code 209-544-9571. And we will connect you to that opportunity to serve on April 16th at Johansson High School. And we do have a little room for volunteers, April 16th, and uh, that's on a Thursday and a day after tax day. And we will uh, put you uh, into role-playing and, again, to help our medical community to uh, practice. And, again, this is a test that we want to practice, but we hope that we will never have 
to use. Is that right? Yeah, yes, right. absolutely. Yes. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. Amen. <laughs> and don't forget, we will have food. We will. And <laughs> we will feed and water everyone. We will everyone. feed and water yeah. you well, yes. and you will be sworn in as a disaster volunteer for yes. the day. What an honor. Yeah. And you're going to have fun. You're going to enjoy this, and you're going to be doing something very worthwhile for your community. And we have we have the best community, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. Oh, yes. Oh, great. Well, is there any uh, lasting uh, last comments, Dr. Walker, that you would like to uh, encourage our listeners with? Um, you know, my last comment is uh, we're really blessed mm. here in Stanislaus. Mm. And um, as our uh, chief of the Office of Emergency Services always says, what makes a difference is to communicate, collaborate, and coordinate, and we're doing it. Amen. God bless each and every one. Dr. Walker, Renee Cartier, and Nancy Fisher. Dear listeners, thank you for listening wherever you are. May God continue to bless you as you love your neighbors, as you love yourselves.